This podcast was recorded on the date indicated with the link. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide updates or changes. All right, buddy. Welcome to the Sherman Show. I'm Jeff Sherman here along with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And uh, Sam does not seem very excited today. So what we're going to try to do is bring a special guest on, Sam, and bring one of your favorite guests uh, onto the show today. And he is none other than Jeff Mayberry, uh, portfolio manager here on the Macro Asset Allocation team. So welcome back as our most visited guest, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I'm the Sam's favorite uh, guest because when I'm on, he's got to talk more versus yeah. just ask questions. He's actually got to prognosticate. Yeah, that's true. We we make him actually earn his keep. And, you know, um, now that you guys have like, you know, more Monday morning minutes recorded than Sherman shows, I just want to make sure we congratulate you on that feat. Um, and so, uh, so what happens when you record them every single week? You, you catch up very quickly. Lose track, but uh, one of the things that we lose track of, too, is the date that we're recording. And today we're recording on Monday, July 10th, 2023. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I did listen to your Monday morning minutes from last week. And uh, Mayberry did call it. He pulled a Sherman when he forgot to say the date. <laughs> and so um, I hadn't got around to it, Sam. But uh, since you wanted to front run it, why don't you front run the show and let us know what we're going to talk about today? All right. Well, uh, since we just passed uh, the end of the first half, uh, a few days ago on the time of recording here, uh, we thought we'd be good to bring back Mr. Mayberry to kind of do a wrap up of what he, uh, some of his estimates and some of his projections that he gave in the beginning of the year when we recorded, uh, I think the third week in, around the third week in uh, January there. And uh, from there, after we well, started off a scoreboard wrap up, see how Mr. Mayberry did. See if he's got any gravitas to stand on for giving us a, an update on the second half of this year as well. So with that, uh, Mr. Bayberry, you know, one of the big things in coming into 2023 was just trying to figure out what the path of, of rate hikes would be from the Fed. And at the time, you know, we asked you what you thought was in store for us for the remainder of the year. At the time, you said that, um, you're thinking 50 to 75 basis points seems reasonable for 2023. I can tell you right now through, uh, July right now, the first week, second week of July, you've pretty much nailed that part, but we still have another, uh, how many more meetings? Is it four or five meetings left? Uh, not including Jack and Ho, I guess. So is it four? I'll give you four. four. I'll give you four. Yeah. Cause there's okay. 80, eight, a, eight a year, right? Cause they're every six weeks. So, and then they take a little bit of time off. And then you, as you said, we get the Jackson hole too, which, you know, historically, I think. Jackson Hall was not really a very monumental event until one of Bernanke's speeches there, right? I mean, that's kind of where he alluded to like some of the, what, was it the taper tantrum? No, that, that had to start before that. was in that. May. Yeah. yeah, that was in May of 13. So I don't know. There was one of them where he sat and like that became like the new place to kind of test out policy or at least test out, uh, new thoughts out there, uh, on policy. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I guess, you know, I agree with you in the last, Two years or so, it seems a little bit less uneventful, but we'll see now that, uh, 
we're coming back in full swings and, uh, you know, hopefully everyone's there on the spot rather than showing up virtually, you know, maybe we'll get, yeah, I think the one was the, the COVID one, right. With, uh, with Powell, where it was like 14 minutes or something. It was like the quickest speech he's ever given. Uh, wasn't that last year where it was just like, you guys are way too, way too, uh, bit bullish on rate, wrong rate cuts. On rate cuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to set so, that tone. Uh, so, uh, what, what is the verdict, uh, Sam? I think you put together a scorecard for Mr. Mayberry and, uh, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he had that 50, 75 basis points for 2023. I know at the time it's pretty interesting in terms of the commentary that you provided to Mayberry. You're saying that, uh, when we looked at the world interest rate probabilities on work screen on Bloomberg, you're saying that, uh, based on that, the market was pricing in cuts by year end. Uh, but at the same time, this is in January of this year, the Fed was unanimous in no cuts for 2023. So what you said was to the effect of I'm on the side of the Fed outside of a deterioration in labor market uh, conditions. So I would I would deem that as a win thus far. We'll see. It seems like uh, the work right now is, again, not really pricing in or not pricing in any cuts for 2023 at this point. So. It yeah, did. it's kind of a cut after a hype, right? So, like, if you look at it, it gets a little, it peaks out a little bit around the November meeting or so. And so, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a victory on that too. And also for the lack of degradation in the in the labor market, right? So, uh, Mayberry, what do you make of last Friday's kind of jobs report too? I mean, um, you know, the headline number was the first. It was the first time in 15 months that it came in below expectations. After that 14 months in a row of outperforming the expectations. Um, but there were some, some really net revisions there that were pretty negative as well. So what, what do you kind of make of that jobs report and where does it put us on that second half trajectory for the Fed? Yeah, I think, you know, we, yeah, it was a 209 was the headline, but as you said, the revisions down, downward, but I think we're, you're still in the, it's like 200 is like the, uh, equilibrium level where you have, if you have that many jobs, you kind of keep the same unemployment rate going on. So I, I think we're still on solid pace here. Um, certainly a little bit of weakness. Maybe people are starting to look at that and say, okay, maybe this uh, you know, this labor market weakness that we've been, I was about to say, looking forward to, not really looking forward to it, but that we were expecting to, to come. Uh, maybe that's starting to, they're starting to see some cracks in the labor market. And so I, you know, normally we were, we've been talking a lot about inflection points and whether we're at one now. And I think we're getting closer and closer to an inflection point now. Uh, just because the labor market maybe is starting to show some cracks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, um, you know, cracks. I mean, if, if we're, we're talking about, you know, still producing 150,000 jobs or so in the private market, uh, it's still pretty strong there too. Right. I mean, so even at these levels, it's not some, uh, it's not job losses. And I think what we've seen too is it's been pretty robust. Um, you know, it's been manufacturing, it's been the housing market, construction things that people thought you know, a year ago with the hiking of rates would, would decimate some of those industries. And, and we continue to see hiring there, but also just this restocking of the services sector, right? Where, you know, there was the on, off again, on again economy and starts and stops, uh, um, you know, for some of the service sector. And you're starting to see that replenishing as well. So it, it does sure look like, you know, that there is some stability in that part of the market. And so, you know, we're not seeing these, you know, 400 and 500,000 jobs prints that we were seeing. Uh, but again, as you said, that we've kind of around that, that equilibrium point. So, um, okay. Um, it looks like, you know, we're kind of on pace for that still. And I think, you know, I, I fully agree with you that it would take, you know, this deterioration to get the Fed to even consider to start cutting. And I think, you know, but by the time they do, um, it's not going to be, you know, 25 basis points or so. So, um, you know, uh, again, I think at this point, 
Uh, it's hard to really see how that happens by year end without just a, a really collapse in the labor market. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, what, other, what other prognostications did he make, Sam? <laughs> yeah. So the next couple of things on the scoreboard, let's look at uh, rates specifically on the 10 year. Uh, at the time of recording, we were at about 3.4% on the 10 year. Uh, and you're, Paul Mayberry was from that point, you had said that the uh, rates would go up. Uh, you don't think that you get past 4% on the 10, ha- on the, on the 10 year. Uh, we're kind of there right now. I mean, we busted through a little bit, but, uh, we're, we're right back to the 4% mark. Um, but you did say that we would break out. shows 4.0002. So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say he missed it. You know, Sam, uh, we're going to call him a liar over basis point, as you like to, I like to say around the desk, but. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think it's a meaningful push up and we haven't seen, you know, a new high in yield since, uh, since like October of last year. That's right. That's right. But, uh, one other thing that he did say too was that we would break into a, a, a new range that would be higher in the, the 10 years. So it looked like we got into that point for, for a little while where you're kind of trying to break up, uh, you know, around the, what is it, uh, the 38390 range. I don't have the chart in front of me on the, on the 10 year. Uh, we certainly moved up into that trading range for, for some time in, in, uh, in this first half of the year. Yeah. I don't recall Mr. Mayberry forecasting that we we're going to have a regional and community banking crisis either. Uh, I don't remember, recall that in his forecast. So I, I think he missed that one too. I mean, yeah, what, what, ba- what banking crisis? I don't exactly. know. Rates are exactly where they were before. That's in, in, right. Beginning exactly. of March. Yeah. No, it's pretty amazing to see that too. So what do you make of the two year at this point too? Like, I mean, it's been fighting it. It doesn't really want to break out that new high. We saw a big rally on Friday with the jobs report. Uh, what, what do you kind of make a, on that front end of the curve? And what's it signaling to you? I mean, I think you look at it. It's, I'll look at the screen. It's 486 right now. As you said, it was it was just above five or it got above five on, on last Thursday. Uh, I think that, you know, you look at it and you think Fed higher for longer. Uh, I think there's there's more downside there to the uh I guess over the over the short term, there's more downside of the Fed continuing to talk hawkish, continue to say that they're going to stay higher for longer. Uh, but uh, you could get always get that, uh, you know, if maybe maybe in the later half of the year we get that deterioration in the labor market. And as you said, the Fed cuts not doesn't cut 25, cuts 200 or 250. Um, then you know you have a lot more upside on the two year there. So it, I think you know your your convexity is good at this point. So maybe it's okay to 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 buy at 486. Uh, but certainly I wouldn't say just put all my eggs in that two-year basket, even though that, that uh, yield is looking pretty attractive. Yeah. Now, when you, when you think about that too, uh, do you think we can see a five handle, uh, again on, on the two-year or what do you kind of think is the, the top in that range? Cause I want to pull you back on at the beginning of next year <laughs> and, and get you committed to this. So I, I, I think certainly, you know, it looks like Marcus pricing in, you know, 90% chance of a Fed hike. Uh, in three or two weeks from now. So certainly that's priced in. I think that you, you know, you do get Jackson Hole and I think that, uh, Powell maybe, maybe speaks a little bit longer than, uh, than the one we were referencing earlier. But, you know, I think he's going to stay in the higher for longer, no rate cuts, everything's strong. So I think, I think you probably, you push up and you do get a five handle for more than just a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be what we had right before the, uh, what banking crisis, as you called it. Um, and then, you know, we got there last week, right? And, uh, just didn't really hold either. So, um, definitely an, an interesting part. And at some point, 
know, that's the way the, the steepener is probably going to play out, right? Is the, the front end really collapsing down um, if there is this uh, economic degradation. All right. So let's move on to the next one here. The, the set it and forget it portfolio, at least for the fixed income side of your book. Maybe you came out talking about barbelling credit with some longer duration treasuries, given the, the, the move up in yield for treasuries. You're actually getting paid to take on some duration. It looked cheap. Um, credit you're still fairly comfortable with, but you thought there might be better opportunities down later in the year. Uh, with that, you did say that uh, it'd be good to, to hold a little bit of slug of cash. There, actually a healthy slug of cash, 10% uh, is what you said in cash. And I would say it was T-bills uh, that you're thinking of during that period of time at the uh, given the, the yield at the, the fr- shorter end of the curve. So looking at it right now, um, credit is, is outperforming. Um, treasuries are, are getting hit a little bit, especially uh, on the move that we saw af- after uh, last week there. But, uh, it is tough to, to go against the, the barbell you know, portfolio of this, especially when we're taking a look at it for, for more of a longer run 2023, you know, 12 months rather than just the six months. But uh, how are you thinking about things now? Well, let me just point out real quick before he does say that is that his cash position is actually a pretty decent win, right? I mean, you're talking about a two-handle return on cash thus far year to date. Um, and, you know, now we're carrying, you know, north of five and a quarter, five and a half, depending on where you buy the bills at. So you definitely, you know, e- even with that kind of conservatism, the conservatism uh, is actually uh, a very strong performer in that, in that mix that you had there, Mayberry. Yeah, and obviously you can never do enough of the good stuff, so you should have done more cash. But I think, you know, the idea was put put together your barbell portfolio. Don't, uh, you know, don't go all in on credit. Don't go all in on duration. And I think that that still holds today, uh, cause we haven't received, we haven't gotten the, the recession, uh, that, uh, that, that people have been looking, looking for. And so you want to continue to hold that duration side of things. You want to continue to hold that credit in case we do get the, the soft landing or softish landing or, or no landing. You haven't heard no landing scenario very often. Uh, Although one these of our days. marketing guys reached out to me this morning and said he, that the no landing story is getting a lot more traction. I said, from who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like it's more of a, it, it, people are starting to feel a bit more optimistic about things. And so maybe this is the time we'll get into uh, the second half outlook, but I'm sure uh, maybe it's going to be a little bit more of a, once everyone's in on the, the no landing, everything's okay scenario. That's when, uh, you know, that's when things turn. Yeah. So I, I guess going back to, I think we talked about it on the, the show at the beginning of the year was that, you know, it's the most forecasted recession in the history of financial markets. Right. And per usual, when everybody thinks something's going to happen, it doesn't. And it's right when people say it's not going to happen that usually it does materialize. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of what you're saying there too. And if we start to hear more rhetoric about the no landing, maybe, uh, I'll, I'll borrow Sam's phrase. We need to buckle up and strap in, you know? Yeah. That's when, that's when we start to get worried. That's right. All right. So then we move into uh, the equity side of the portfolio. Wait, so, so am I, am I right calculating this, uh, Sam in my head? Like his barbell portfolio is probably break even with the cash portfolio, right? Roughly. It's probably yeah, enough. Maybe, maybe slightly, maybe slightly better, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the bank loans and the uh, the high yield, the the cuspier side of credit, you know, really driving the, the credit side of returns and fixed income. Oh, yeah. that's what he was saying. He wanted to be a hundred percent credit in the best performing sectors, right? right. So, <laughs> of course, <That's> right. of course. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, okay, so what about um, you know uh, on the equity market? So what did uh, what what was he saying on equities? Yeah, for the set in and forget it equity portfolio there. He liked the setup of tech coming into the year, uh, talking about how, you know, tech got their house in order a little bit sooner than some of the other uh, companies in, in other sectors there. You know, they began layoffs a little bit earlier in the, in, or earlier than the others late to, you know, mid 2022 and beyond. Um, so he did like tech. He wanted to overweight that sector. And that's a, that's a big win. That is the, the best performing sector, um, year to day here. I see it. Through today up 38 uh, percent, yeah, but the rest of the kind of the mega caps. I'm gonna give him a golf clap for that one. That, that's a that's a solid win there. You know, so very that, that, that falls under the right outcome, maybe wrong process or wrong wrong idea. I mean, wasn't thinking AI yeah. uh, moving things, but uh, outcome yeah. outcome worked. Yeah, which means you can still take that victory lap there. But uh, the, <laughs> as the we say, the destination, not the journey. That's right. <laughs> So the cohort around that, you know, we've been talking about the mega cap names, especially those around that might be benefiting from some of this AI mania as well. Uh, you know, some of those areas in there with comm services and, and, uh, uh, consumer discretionary as well. Those are all up over 30% on the year. So, I mean, definitely a, a strong showing from those three sectors that are really largely leading uh, the S&P 500 up. It, it, you know, we've talked about on Monday morning minutes. I'll give a little shameless plug there how the, the other eight sectors haven't really been holding their weight as much, but, uh, we'll see what the rest of this, uh, what your outlook, what outlook you have for us for the remainder of 2023 next. What, what, is, what is your shameless plug? I didn't get it. Uh, this is what we've been talking about uh, in Monday morning minutes, how really the S&P 500, the big driver of the returns have been these three sectors that really have the, the mega cap names, you know, the S&P 7, S&P 8, you know, depending on if you categorize Google as one or two names within that uh, seven or eight thing. And then uh, the remainder is just, you know, it's been positive for the most part, but rather luck, lackluster compared to both the S&P index returns and the those three sectors. You need to go with the times. It's not Google. It's alphabet, man. Come on. That's right. That's right. I still call it the uh, Lehman egg sometimes. So I struggle. I struggle. <laughs> All right. So uh, I recall the 60 40 portfolio that uh, Mayberry wanted to overweight bonds to stocks, right? Um, how did that one fare, Sam? Well, on the backdrop of that, it looks like, uh, you know, equities are up, what I say, around 15% on the year. And then the ag is up about one and a quarter, uh, through yesterday. So probably would have been better off leaning a little bit towards equities. Um, if you wanted to do the other way around, bro, back to the original 60-40 with equity bonds, uh, 60-40 there. But, uh, you know, we'll get Mayberry's thoughts on the remainder of this year. Maybe he still pulls it through. So it's hard to judge a, a year's performance on six months. I was going to say, yeah. you said probably better off, definitely would have been better off with the 60% yeah. stocks. Trying to yeah. be nice with my words here. As I was trying to get, say how awesome it was, you had 10% cash too. So uh, yeah, when you're <laughs> 15% return, yeah, the cash doesn't look as sexy anymore. So um, the biggest loser though, uh, Mayberry, you were calling commodities too um, there. And, you know, you just didn't realize that there's a magnetic pull inside of that barrel of oil that just makes it gravitate towards 70, right? Goes down to 65, goes up to 75. I mean, for the last like little two and a half months, it's just been stuck there too. Um, we also don't have as much backwardation in the markets. The markets in general are, are better supplied. And I think a lot of the thesis was at least I kind of shared that for if you want the kind of, you know, the reflationary type of trade, 
um, was the China reopening, which has just largely fell extremely flat, too. So um, I think that's part of the blame for the, the commodity side. Um, but you did say that you still like developed over emerging. So I'll give you that. You know, we'll, we'll split the difference there and say that worked, too. And, you know, you still didn't, even though you're buying in the China reopening story, uh, you're saying to play it through commodities, not through the equities, which, um, you know, it fell flat and, and both have really been um, just not very strong performers. Yeah. And it was, a, it was, the, that was the talk of the town earlier or beginning of the year was China reopening out of COVID zero. They're just going to go back to, you know, huge numbers again. And now they're, we were talking this morning, they're, they need more stimulus because they have a lot of problems out there. So or over there. So, uh, I still think if we get to like the no, you know, as we talk to the second half, if we get, or, or if, as we go into the second half, if we get to like the no recession type outlook, you know, stocks up 15%, commodities were down what, like 7% on the year so far, like buy the things that buy something that's down to, to get you that, that upside, uh, versus maybe the, the thing that's been up 15% or 40%, depending on. Uh, what what sector we're looking at? Yeah, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we shift your outlook here then too? Let's let's go through it too. So let, let's start with you know kind of how we think about things from a top down perspective. You know, um, we got a heavy week this week in terms of the the economic calendar uh, for the releases. All eyes are on CPI and the likes. Uh, supposedly going to be the lowest print uh, that we've seen really since the the pandemic started in terms of year over year inflation. Um, how are you thinking through the macro environment? Give us kind of a, you know, a, a lowdown of what you see looking at your economic dashboard and then further, you know, what that, what that translates into on where we are on the cycle. Right. Well, the, uh, well, this, this comes out on Thursday, hopefully. And, uh, so CPI will be out already. So we won't make any prognostications there, but we do have a 1.2 rolling off yep. uh, on, on headline CPI from last year. So everyone was talking about base effects last year. In terms of the numbers were really low, so inflation is going to be higher. So we have the opposite working for this year. So this, you know, the 1.2 coming off. And then after that, we have a zero and a 0. 0.2, um, or 0. 0.1 the next month. So pretty low numbers there. So it seems pretty reasonable that this could, you know, if it's not good, the low print, it's very close to the low print of the year for headline CPI. Um, but everyone knows that, or, or at least, uh, you know, the Fed should know that. So they're not going to look at this number and say, Oh, great. Now we're done. Mission accomplished. Uh, they're going to, we're going to say, okay, we need to stay, stay higher or keep rates higher. Um, and see, see kind of things, how, how things shake out. But really you look at everything. Uh, you know, when we do look at the dashboard, your manufacturing numbers are still very weak. Your, your, your PMI, your manufacturing PMI numbers are very weak. Um, like 40, 46, 47, um, in that range, but services kind of keep bouncing around. It's a, you know, 53 today, uh, been bounced off like that 50.5 or 50 point, you know, if the 50, 50 handle level, um, yeah. I think it's 50 spot really, four, I think, but whatever, four. yeah, whatever. Yeah. Still above 50, but not, yeah. not as good as it was. Um, but the so, service yeah. report was strong around, yeah. right? You had the uptick there, prices paid were down. You had new orders up on the service side. I mean, just in general, I, I mean, there was really nothing negative in that services report from the ISM last week, right? Right. And so is it, you know, historic, when you look back in history, you look at the manufacturing numbers and it's very much like when those numbers go, go down, you get a recession. But, uh, is, has the economy changed? The U.S. economy changed enough that the services side, certainly the service side is driving a lot. Um, and is that really enough to sustain things? And it seems like that, that mixed shift between manufacturing and services is something that when you, obviously when you look at the historical data, 
it doesn't show that mix shift. And so is that something that you look at that service data and say, you know what, things are going to be okay or things, you know, have the, have the possibility of being okay, even though manufacturing numbers low. Uh, yeah, I was uh, arguing that with one of our PMs last year where he was trolling out the data on the manufacturing and, you know, all these recessions that it's called, you know, every single recession. I was like, yeah, but it had, it's had a meaningful number of false positives as of late. And it's exactly what you're pointing out. And, you know, if you overlay the two charts and you look at them, I, I think that, you know, it, it's not a sufficient condition. It's a necessary condition, right, to speak math for a second. But Ultimately, I do think that, you know, once you get that dip in services, I mean, that is the lifeblood of the overall economy, right? And so, you know, I think that, I think rightfully so, there's been some new found enthusiasm and, and potentially that's where, you know, maybe one of our uh, relationship folks was asking, you know, about the no landing. Maybe that's where they were hearing that from was uh, the enthusiasm around, uh, around uh, the uh, services data. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the labor market, as we talked about earlier, is still relatively strong. Unemployment rates, you know, 3.6. So very, very low levels. Um, you know, if you pull up that chart, it was, uh, we've been in this, if you pull up a more recent, you know, chart, obviously you go back to those 1965 numbers and unemployment was, uh, down around these levels, but you hadn't been these levels in, in like all the, the boom times that we saw in like the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, and so, you know, it, the labor market continue, continues to be strong. And so certainly the, 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 you know, the Fed is keeping an eye on wages and with the labor market so strong and wages still uh, growing, but below inflation, uh, they're really going to try to keep an eye on that and really see that as the the thing that's going to turn. And that I would think that, you know, the Fed doesn't want to say they want a recession. They don't want to say they need unemployment to rise. They need wages to fall, but they do in order to get inflation back down. Um, and so that, that's really what they're, they're going to be focused on the, the wages and the, and the labor market overall. Yeah, I mean, um, if you look at labor force participation, it's been pretty stable. But when you dig through the data, what you see is that that working age cohort that they call the 18 to 54, I think it is. Um, and that one continues to accelerate in terms of partic- participation. We're above where we were uh, prior to the pandemic. But there's been a hit on the 55 plus cohort, right, uh, post pandemic. And we've seen that kind of stagnate there. So um, it is a, a different kind of composition mix um, within the, the age cohorts of that. But in general, I mean, there's a reason we call it working age population, right? I mean, that's, that's you know, that's got the 80 plus percent uh, participation rate. So uh, in general, uh, I think that, you know, we just have to continue to focus on this. And there's been some kind of false starts. I mean, the what's pretty amazing is the unemployment claims. Um, they, they've risen, you know, the, off their lows. They're kind of in a, a area that's above the uh, pre-pandemic levels, but we see, you know, even though they have this elevated initial claims, the continuing claims have been deteriorating, right? They've been going down. And so there is something that says that uh, within this space that it isn't really this significant deterioration there. And so it seems to be either recycling through the population or those people are dropping out of the labor force. So uh, again, it's hard to say that there is this kind of really erosion in the labor market at that point. I guess it's easy for us all to say, well, we still have jobs, right? Uh, before AI takes over on us. But you know, for, I guess if you, if you don't have a job right now, it probably feels a, a lot different uh, than, than, uh, than, than what we're describing here. And so, um, you know, kind of as you think about the rest of the economic data set, you know, what, what is concerning out there? I mean, labor seems to be, you know, still there. It is the last shoe to drop as well. No, but, um, what are you seeing across the rest of the macro landscape? 
I mean, you know, you, if everything looks, I, I, I hate to say it, uh, just given the, the company we're in, but I, th- I think everything looks good. Everything, the economy still seems to be chugging along. You know, it, it seems like it's, uh, you know, f- from that overall landscape, it, it seems like, uh, you know, we always like to stay steady. She drifts. If the economy can keep on this level, uh, you know, the Fed will be happy to, to, you know, maybe raise rates a couple more times and, and just, uh, see how things go. And I think that, uh, it, it seems like the economy is pretty resilient. You know, it, as we said, it kind of just sloughed off the uh, banking crisis, a regional banking crisis and said, let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that, um, a lot of, uh, the naysayers have been looking at lately is, the resumption of student loan payments coming in that. And so I know our ABS team has done some work there. Uh, how concerned are you about the resumption of these payments? Uh, as, as Sam joked, he said, well, it sounds like we're going to have delinquencies go up on all kinds of credit, <laughs> not just on student loans, because uh, they're zero today because uh, you're in you're in forbearance right now. But ultimately, do you think that that is something that will continue to put pressure or put more pressure on the end consumer? And, you know, uh, also, just, you know, with cash rates being where they are, does this somewhat also curtail consumption a little bit where people are saying, you know what, it's nice to earn 5% by taking no risk? Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see what the student loan the resumption is because it's been, what, like three years since people have had to make payments. So you kind of forget, like, whatever, even if it's a couple hundred dollars a month, you, you've you been spending that money. And so now it's right. like, now you have to curtail your, your consumption by that, whatever that dollar amount is. And, um, certainly that's going to, that's going to hurt the consumers. It's going to hurt consumption. It's going to hurt, uh, you know, some people are going to, you know, be delinquent on, on their student loans. And, you know, I, I saw something today that was like, well, of course they're going to, you know, stop paying, not pay their student loans because they can't take your degree away from you. If you don't pay your car loan, they can take your, they can repo your car. They can't repo your degree. So, um, you know, I, I think of course then, you know, it sticks with you though. So that's not, not, that's not great. You can't uh, just, you know, bankrupt yourself out of it, out of your student loan. But, um, I think that it's, uh, it, it's certainly on the margin and certainly negative. And it'll be interesting to see how, like how negative it is. And so, you know, that could be the, the catalyst for some, some weakening both on the, on the consumer side and which would obviously, as we talked about, drives the economy. So your, your view on recession in 2023 sounds like it's very low at this point. Yeah, it's very, I think it's very low. Um, just because it's, you know, outside, outside of the, uh, the COVID uh, recession that we got that just, you know, happened, happened out of nowhere. Uh, usually it seems like they take a little bit longer to, to get up to, to kind of, to gain momentum to, onto the downside. And so, uh, you know, here we are, you know, we got six months to go, obviously, and in the mid-year review. Um, so I, I think it, things are looking good, uh, solid enough now that it's going to take some time for them to deteriorate enough to, to kind of, for the uh, MBER to really say, okay, we're in a recession. Okay. And then the one thing that uh, Sam wanted me to mention to you too, is the, is the thing that hardly gets any attention anymore, quantitative tightening. Um, you know, so um, it's pretty been pretty interesting where we looked at, you know, we did this in our asset allocation meeting a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at the uh, maturity schedule of the Fed's balance sheet. And, you know, at this point in the year, it was supposed to be where they wouldn't have enough treasuries rolling off be able to do that. But it looks like some of this reinvestment they've done has been very short term. So now they have the ability to roll that off. It's pretty amazing that they're able to to do that. And uh, I guess it's not amazing. It's just math. <laughs> you can figure it out. Uh, but I did notice also that 
for the May uh, report on monetary growth, the asset, uh, the monetary base actually increased for the first time in in roughly about a year or so. So uh, again, it's obviously probably all that issuance of bills to to replenish the TGA. But as you think about it. You know, are, uh, is this just something that's going to go on in the background and, you know, it's there until we have the recession? Or do you think at some point, you know, potentially this helps engineer a soft landing where they have the ability to kind of provide liquidity by not removing that liquidity from the market? Right. I mean, it's by design that no one talks about it. There's no, you know, every time Powell has a press conference, there's one time, you know, one reporter asks about, QT and, you know, Powell just kind of doesn't answer that part of the question. They want it to be, you know, on, on autopilot. We'll, we'll use that infamous phrase of autopilot. They want it to just run in the background. And so this is, this is exactly what they want. I think that you're right that once they, if we get into liquidity problems, if that, if that does happen, um, you know, people worried about it as the, as they replenish the TGA, but, you know, luckily or thankfully the money came out of the, the reverse repo or 60% of that. TGA yeah. replenishment has come out of reverse repo. Uh, so they haven't really had to, to curtail the, uh, the, the roll off of that, um, of the QT. Now, what will be interesting to see is if, you know, it's all mostly treasuries because agency mortgage prepayments have been so slow. If we kind of get, you know, a, a sizable rally in rates and prepayments pick up on the, on the agency mortgage side of things, how does that affect liquidity when those, when those numbers are actually much larger than the, what is it, 35 billion a month, a month, those, those prepayments could come in, you know, quickly, very quickly and, and, um, be much larger than that level. So we'll have to see what that, if we do get that rally in rates and in mortgage yeah, rates. Yeah, but you also have happens. to think about the coupon stack, right? Like if the Fed's balance sheet, it's primarily twos and two and a halfs, right? So, I mean, you got to have a pretty meaningful rally yeah. in rates to, to get there, but. But maybe under that premise, too, people are trying to sell their homes or something. But um, what, one last thing, too, before we get into the market side, too, is, uh, you know, there will be this nice replenishing of uh, the Treasury accounts, too, in October of this year, because Californians will have to make their tax payments finally. So don't forget that the state of California got FEMA relief uh, for uh, the rains and floods we had out here. And so a lot of your wealthy taxpayers that sit out here on the left coast. Uh, haven't made any quarterlies and or payments for the fourth quarter of last year either. So there, there is some, uh, tax revenues that are kind of sitting on the sidelines. So, um, people always talk about cash on the sidelines and investing. So that there actually is cash sitting on the sidelines. It's, it's actually sitting with Janet, uh, with her T-bills. Uh, you know, that's what a lot of us are doing. So, uh, again, there is going to be some, uh, some newfound, uh, liquidity coming back to Uncle Sam later in the year. Yeah. Don't remind me. Don't remind me. Yeah, unfortunately. So I'm just trying to remind you, like that student loan payment you haven't made in three years. Uh, make sure, you know, we haven't made tax payments in like nine months either. So, so Sam, that was your cue to ask. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not sure if you're asleep or, or what's going on over there. All right. So let's move over to the markets then with that. And I just thought you were going to keep going. But uh second half of the year, what are some of the big themes that you think are going to play out uh in financial markets here. So you missed the, uh, the banking stress, the crisis that never really became a crisis was your response. What do you, what do you got for us for the next six months, man? It's like, try to call it out. As I said, this is Sam, this is your least favorite podcast. Um, because you have to participate. The, I, I think, you know, certainly, you know, you look at, uh, equity markets, good, good, good first half of the year, tech up 40%. I don't think you can expect another 40% out of tech. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe we'll just annualize. I was about to say annualize that, annualize the first half of the year. You know, tech is up 200, 200% or, or it'll be up 200% or a double. 
hundred percent in the double for, for tech for the year. Um, you know, just given that I'm, uh, I'm maybe a little bit more bullish on the economy. Um, I think that maybe you get, uh, you, I go back to that commodity well again. I think, uh, commodities do well, just given, uh, if we get that demand side up, if the economy doesn't come to, doesn't, uh, doesn't go into recession, um, certainly, you know, can be more in stocks, um, and more on the credit side of things. But again, same, same idea as we talked about earlier, the barbell portfolios don't want to have that. Um, you know, it's not like we wait or not we, it's not like markets wait for the recession to come and then they go, Oh, spreads are too tight and spreads widen out on, on your, on your credit risk. They widen out going into a recession. They see the, the, um, the signposts of a recession coming. And so you want to still want to have that, um, even though we're not getting a recession this year, or if we're not getting a recession this year, that you still want to have that, that barbell side, that flight to safety side, um, and your long duration treasury side. Uh, to, to kind of take some of the edge off of that spread widening that would occur before recession comes. And um, looking at spreads today, too, I mean, it does not look very indicative of of a recession at this point, right? We got IG hovering around 130, you know, and that's really kind of a, a triple B type of uh, rated asset these days. You've got, you know, you've got the high yield market. What is it? You know, it's in the kind of low 400s right now in terms of spread. Um, I, I like to actually think that it's a little bit tighter than that because, um, you know, the, the, the high yield market's keyed off of the five year part of the curve, right? That's where people quote. But, you know, because of the deep inversion of the curve, bills yield a hundred basis points practically <laughs> over that or at least 75. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, if you think about the risk free assets, not necessarily the fives, when you think about that, you kind of think about cash earning there. And then we heard from, uh, on the investment call this morning, our EM team is saying, you know, 430, you know, it's kind of like the, the bottom end of the range that they've seen as well. So in general, things look pretty tight at this point, or at least it's not symbolic of, of us entering into a recession. And so, you know, it sure looks like the markets are kind of in step with what you think about or how you're thinking about it right now. Yeah. But, that, you know, obviously that won't last. I think that, you know, it's okay to, to, to stay in those risk assets for, you know, we'll call it the medium term, whether that's, you know, Six months or, or four, four to six months, uh, before the next podcast, uh, that will, that I'll do, uh, with you guys. And, um, you know, so it's okay to stay in, in that side of things. Clip that extra 430 basis points for, for your EM over, over treasuries. Um, and, uh, just be prepared to, you know, that's why you have that ballast on the other side of things. So you don't want to take any, any one sided risks here, just given that, uh, we're, we are kind of on a, on a cuspy point here and that, uh, you know, the labor market turns, if the services side of things turns, that, that you could start to see uh, spreads widen out pretty significantly, which is what they tend to do when, when you get a recession. So, you know, as I talked about earlier, your convexity on the two-year looks okay. Um, your convexity on credit maybe doesn't look as great. So you want to kind of buoy that with the, the other side of your convexity trade. All right. So with that, uh, let's sum it all up. Let's do the 60, uh, sorry, the set it and forget it for the remainder of the year. Are you still, uh, 60% overweight bonds to 60, 40 to equities? You got, cause it didn't work, uh, for the first half of the year. Let's go with it for the second half of the year. Because it didn't work. Let's do it again. That's right. That's, right let's double down. Right. <laughs> the thought process was right. It just, you know, the markets didn't cooperate. Yeah, yeah, the market's <laughs> wrong, right? Isn't that what we say, right? It's not yep. that we were wrong; it was the market was wrong. And so, um, as you think about it too, like 
you know, what are you thinking about in terms of this whole developed market versus emerging market as well, you know, as you're thinking about positioning there? I know you said you like the commodities, uh, but how are you thinking about EM equities at this point? I, I feel like the you know, emerging markets is in a better, you know, even though you did talk about, you know, EM, EM fixed income down at four, you know, 430 spread pretty tight. Um, I feel like they're, they're kind of better positioned. The developed markets, you know, it's, we, we kind of forget that inflation is not just a U.S. phenomenon. It's, it's happening across the developed world. And, you know, the, maybe the Fed is ahead of the curve as opposed to the other central banks, um, in terms of their, their rate hike cycle, uh, or, or at least, at least seeing the inflation come down a little bit more. And so I think that, uh, you know, you, your EM, whether it's on the equities or fixed income side is, is a little bit better positioned. Uh, than the DM, you know, XUS, uh, across both, you know, um, especially in the fixed income, maybe equities, uh, you haven't really seen, you know, the DM equities, you haven't really seen, they've, they've performed well. You haven't really seen too much of, um, you know, they were kind of positioned for a little bit more of a recession, I think, uh, at the beginning of the year. And, uh, they haven't, that obviously recession hasn't happened. Um, so I think they're still positioned pretty well from a DM equity side of things. And then the last area, Sam's favorite uh, asset class that's not a security or is a security. We can't figure it out. <laughs> What's your outlook on crypto? Uh, it is. Uh, that, uh, whenever Sam talks about it on the Monday Morning Minutes, he says it's my favorite asset class. Whenever I talk about it, when he's not on the podcast, I say it's his favorite asset class. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that if you get a I'm – I'm certainly not a buyer of crypto. You, you always want to have that, like, the fundamental side of things on what, what you think is going to happen or how is it going to work out? Um, you know, it's, if you want to take a flyer on it, you know, put a, put a percent in, in crypto, even though Bitcoin's up what 80% or something so far this year. Um, call, call it 82% this year. Uh, I still think that, uh, you know, it's not going to a million like some people were, were talking about a couple of years ago. Uh, but certainly, uh, you, you know, you have that, you have your treasury portfolio as your ballast. If crypto takes off, you you don't want to be uh, left holding with none of it. You know, throw a percent or something on there, and if it goes to a million, then yeah, at least you have a good story. If it goes to zero, you have a good story to tell. If it goes to a million, you have a good story to tell. What if it sits at thirty thousand? Hey, it's uh, didn't go down, so (laughs) (laughs) yeah, opportunity cost, right? So all right, and then all right. So lastly, let's talk about uh, the asset allocation mix. How are you thinking about it all? Between the equities, bonds, and commodities, and then your one, you gotta save your one percent for crypto. Um, you can obviously add cash in there as well. I think you're, I think it's okay. You know, we, we started, we, we talked about it. I was like, we were saying 10% cash. I was saying 10% cash beginning of the year. I think you, you stick with that. You know, you're still getting five and a half. The six month T bill right now looks like five and a half percent. So let's, uh, let's lock in that 55 basis point uh, contribution to total return, uh, for, for the rest of the year. On that 10% cash, I think, um, let's see, I was going 60, I was going 60, 40. So 50%, uh, in your, in your other, in your other fixed income, uh, you, you want, you want to put like, you know, a third of that in, uh, in longer term treasuries and the rest in kind of credit. I would, I kind of would like to avoid the investment grade credit bond credit market as, you know, 130 basis points over. I'd rather just go more, more high yield, more bank loans, more emerging markets. Um, and then the treasuries to give you that duration. So, um, you know, one, one third in treasuries, two thirds in, in credit. And then, um, you know, it's interesting when you look, we talk about the stock market, U.S. stock market, 
it was a good story through the through the first five months of the year when the uh, S&P equal weight was flat or d- slightly down. The S&P cap weight was up, you know, 10 percent or, or uh, yeah, no, it was up 10 percent. Yeah. And then uh, subsequent to that, they've they've kind of moved, moved more in lockstep. Uh, so you, maybe you don't want to be so much cap, so cap weight heavy um, in your U.S. equities. Maybe, you know, go down. You certainly want to have some uh, S&P 500, but go into the you know, some value go into some, some mid and small cap names or, or and maybe not names, but you know, go into the mid and small cap, um, and try to diversify away from those, those big high flyers that have driven a lot and certainly, uh, can, could continue to drive a lot of that return of the S&P 500. But, you know, I would not expect them to, to kind of have that huge outperformance that they did in the first half of the year. All right. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good outlook here. So you've now committed to be our first guest on the show in 2024, assuming that Sam doesn't retire. He keeps threatening it every episode. Um, so he keeps showing up still. So thanks, Sam, for showing up once again. <laughs> um, and, uh, we're going to let you go, Mayberry. You spent a lot of time on it today, but before we do, now we talk about Sam's favorite part of the show and Sam. You get to participate today. So we have, we have someone bringing in your, your role today because we want broad participation. Yeah. So what's typically, uh, my favorite part of the show is called Sherman says. Whenever Mayberry is a guest host here, it becomes my least favorite part of the, of the show. Um, but, uh, what Sherman he's not said, a guest host, he's a guest. He's a host on your other show. He's a guest <laughs> on this show. I know there's a lot of incestuous behavior in here, but still he's a guest today. All right. I was trying to slip it in, try to bring it through. So, <laughs> so with that, uh, Mayberry, you know, the rules here, but, uh, for our listeners out there who might not be familiar, this part is called Sherman says, I will offer a series of alternating prompts. In this case, it's going to be Kimbrough offering a, a, a series of alternating <laughs> prompts amongst the three of us here, uh, Sherman, Mayberry, and, my, and me, uh, to which we'll offer a top-of-mind response. I like you were about to say myself. You caught he, yourself. He was. Not I had to think of the context there. Yes. Very good. It works. So with that, Mr. Kimbrough, I believe you have 10 uh, prompts for each of us to give us a little bit of extended Sherman says for our listeners who – we definitely asked for it, uh, but this is typically the best time of year or de- best time uh, to do it when we, when we have Mr. Mayberry on here as the uh, the co-host. Well, uh, thank you for having me on and give the people what they want. So I got you a uh, 10 per person. And uh, the order we're going to have here is Mr. Sherman, Mr. Uh, Loud, and Mr. Mayberry. And uh, kicking us off, Sherman, let's go ADP employment. Garbage. <laughs> garbage in, garbage yeah. out. You would think the people who process the payrolls would know how many jobs there were, but it sure doesn't seem to be. Well, on that note, then, we're going to go to Mr. Lau with non-farm payrolls. I was going to say, I mean, I'll, I'll pull into the ADP on that as well. Is you know, we, uh, ADP's stated goal is to try to front-run and predict what the NFP will be by a few days. And, you know, I'll, I'll go with Gar- Sherman's uh, response for ADP there as being garbage. And uh, NFP as being the gold standard within that uh, framework. Out of two. Yeah. <laughs> Big sample size. <laughs> All right, then uh, moving on to the next one from Mr. Mayberry, we have wage growth. Uh, I mean, it's sustained and it's wor- worrisome for the Fed. Um, let's go with 
PMIs to Mr. Sherman? Um, strong. I mean, it's a mixed bag as we talked about, but services is strong. I couldn't find anything negative in that last report on the services side. So way to go, America. So the Bears didn't uh, talk about the report. Just That's ignore right. It. Stay strong. Uh, next up, we have Inflation Week. Low point, but let's watch for the uh, the remaining six months uh, of the year for the uh, the data prints. Because I think I it's that, the June report, right? I thought that was going to be like in Infrastructure Week, where it was just like every week is Infrastructure Week, every week is Inflation Week. And we yeah. got two other the th- well, we got two, I guess. Uh, when we, when is Shark Week? Right? I mean, uh, I mean <laughs> why is that thing? I believe that's an August uh, event. I believe Shark Week. I'm shooting from the hip. Yeah, I'm um, not a fan of the ocean, so that uh, that definitely helps uh, keep that fear going too. <clears throat> um, you know what? Hey, moving on to the next one. We got back to Mayberry. We're going with small businesses. I mean, they're, they're the lifeblood of the economy. Um, we'll just stick with the uh, the tried and true. Fair enough. Uh, next up, rate hikes. I'm trying to think of what's the opposite of lifeblood. Because <laughs> they're choking <laughs> you off. It's like the, it's I don't like know. The vampire, the vampire. The vampire, they would suck the blood out of the economy. But <laughs> um, um, they haven't been completely felt yet. And the longer we stay higher for longer, the more pain it becomes on the economy. So I, I do agree with Maybray that the data looks decent for now. I think the summer can remain strong. I like, uh, I'm probably a little more short term optimistic than, than his medium termish, but I think that over time, the longer you keep rates where they are, the more incentive people have to move their money to capitalize on that. And I'm, I still think when people start to realize that rent prices aren't increasing meaningfully, you know, if we're not getting some significant uh, uh, inflation data, then all of a sudden that five handle yield looks very attractive. And so I think that it, it becomes problematic. You get the other side. So we haven't hit credit yet. It's something I've been talking about all year. The credit side, unless it has to be refinanced, doesn't pay market rates. Right. But over time now that more people realize that I can get a market rate on my cash. I think that becomes more problematic. So th- that's where I, I get a little more pessimistic over time. All right, then. Uh, Mayberry, yield curve inversion. No, Sam goes after Sherman. Oh, you know what? You're correct. Let's go with Sam and yield curve inversion. <laughs> it's with us for a while. I mean, based on uh, um, what we think with the, the rate hikes there, I think uh, we're going to stay inverted for, for some time yet until the Fed breaks it. Breaks the breaks it it meaning the economy and then they're forced to to drop it by the sh- the overnight rate by two three hundred basis points a pop. All right. Let's go next up student loans for Mayberry. Get that correct this time. All right, as we talked about, uh, they're going to inc- you know they could be the catalyst that caused the problem uh, on the economy on the consumer side of things and could be the uh, certainly people are not uh, used to paying the making their student loan payments. Hear that. Um, next one is residential construction. Okay. I feel like, uh, this is like Kimber on the desk. He doesn't listen to anything we talked about. All these like <laughs> things have to do with this, but so sorry, Kimber. Uh, residential construction. Uh, we need more of it and quickly. Fair. 
And you, you all, you all touched on a bunch of these as I'm reading through them. It, it's, yeah, it's good times. Um, yeah, have some related some, uh, prompts there to, to ring them in. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, for you, Lyle, we're going with housing correction. Waiting for it. Not Still sure waiting. it's going to come anytime soon. I mean, we're seeing some deceleration, but I think if you're in one of the, uh, if you're in, you know, cities like uh, Los Angeles, you know, where we're at, uh, yeah, I think you're still going to have that demand on on back of this low supply there. But when you start talking about areas like, you know, the things that really popped off during the the pandemic, you get the Boise's. I'm not sure what type of uh, industry they really support. To, they have to support the prices that you saw there. It's just kind of an extreme example. But even places like Austin, you know, that uh, you're starting to see some declines there as well. But speaking on that, too, is, you know, you get the influx of people there, you're going to start seeing, yeah, the big drain on infrastructure, you know, out there. They, they just don't really have the, uh, the city, uh, network set up to, to accommodate all those people. So on top of that, uh, housing correction that they're probably going to feel, or they have been feeling in the area, they're actually going to start feeling a crunch for, for resources as well, it seems like. Yeah. But also you get the nice, uh, triple digit weather as well. And, and also, I mean, Texas has been horrible. I, I read something that said three of the four hottest days in the, the worst temperatures ever recorded were last week. Right. Um, just accumulatively across, you know, however they measure it. Uh, we sure didn't feel like it out here. Right. Like we, well, I'm not going to tell you what our weather was like because uh, you guys all know and uh, I don't want anyone to get upset with us. So I've heard they only experience about a hundred of those days a year. So that's not too many. Yeah. Yeah. I, where I grew up, uh, that was it. It was called May till September. <laughs> they were just happy, you know? So we, we appreciate it here on the West Coast. Um, next up for Sherman, we're going lack of competition. Sounds like winning. I, where are you going with this, Kimbra? Like, like lack of competition? So it's, it's a verbal Rorschach test. It's, it, this is, this is. Aren't you out of order too? If, I have, if I have no competition, I am more likely to win. All right. So you went the other way around, bro, on that. I see Mayberry like smiling and stuff, but that was supposed to be. A- <laughs> That's right. All right, fine. We'll go I would say, I would say mono- monopoly, lack of competition. That's a monopoly. Yeah. I put this in a weird order here. I'm obviously, skipping around. Obviously. Yeah. Well, you know what here? Mayberry, we have higher for longer. Yeah. The, well, that's, that's, that's the, that's the Fed's goal. Higher for longer. That's what they want. Well, let's, let's get back on pace here. Go to Lao with loan extensions. Um, if you're talking about, uh, maybe CRE, maybe that's the, that's, you see a whole lot more of those. Uh, I think uh, regional banks are not doing loan extensions right now. How's that? <laughs> uh, to anybody, forget to commercial real estate. I'm just saying to anybody. Anyway, it's time to pay. Uh, going to uh, Mayberry with your favorite asset class. Let's go to Bitcoin ETF. I think well, we'll, we'll it'll be interesting to see whether that whether that actually happens or not. Uh, I think that. Uh, I would say it's people are going to continue pushing for it until either the SEC says, you know, gives it a thumbs up or a definitive thumbs down. So uh, it could be a long and arduous process. You just, I think what you have to ask is uh, how healthy is Gary Gensler, right? Cause uh, <laughs> he, I, I feel like he's not going to pass it. And, you know, everybody got some newfound fervor just because BlackRock filed. Right. And so um kind of, uh I don't know if you listen to the guy talk just because he taught a class on it. 
he sure doesn't seem to want to approve it. So. Or like how, when does the term expire or is it uh, just it gets replaced with a new, uh, you know, the new, a new president or, or how does, I don't, I don't know how that works. So I really don't know how the SEC chairman works. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I still think it's Sheila Bear. I don't know why. She's like the FDIC. I don't know why I was. <laughs> it was the FDIC. Yeah. And she's not yeah. even at the FDIC yeah. anymore. She you used see. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. All right, getting uh, back to you, Sherman, actually on schedule here. We got emergency expenses. Damn. I mean, everybody has them. You need a rainy day fund. How's that? That's what your T-bills are for. That's for the safety. Yeah. Uh, let's go next. We're going to Lao with $70 oil. For some reason, all I have is like Timmy Geithner and Hank Paulson in my mind now that you talked about Sheila Bear. But uh did you say $70 oil? Yes, sir. Tractor well, beans. Timmy Geithner these days? Is he running a hedge fund or something? <laughs> I, I, I think he might have just gotten out of the industry entirely. All right. After uh, the, <laughs> the GFC, he just said, I'm out. I'm out. I mean, uh, Maiden Lane was his, uh, his claim to fame, right? So. Did I, I answer, did I answer the Sherman says? I forgot. Oh. Yeah, I did. I said tractor pull. <laughs> See, si, senor. Uh, Not next sure we have. In like farm equipment pull, but, uh, the tractor being pulled. <laughs> I think tractors use diesel. Sounds like they should. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like we should electrify the tractors going forward. Make them quiet. Kimbra, we're not on schedule. Yep. We have a, you know, we have a right. six hour deadline on this podcast. That's, that's Next, as much as we're, we're through, we're through five apiece. We're, we're working our way through the second half. Next up is trend following for Mayberry. Um, you know, it's a diversifier. So, you know, if you're, uh, or it can be a diversifier, I should say. And, you know, if you, if you want to invest in that trend following momentum, um, it's a good way to, you know, get, get some non-correlated exposure. Next up, bank lending. Um, I think it struggles at the regionals still, um, as there's just concern about, uh, deposit flight. I think we get, don't we get earnings on the, on like the PAC West and Western Alliance? I think it's like next week. Um, so I know all the big banks come out this week. So I think it's next week they come out. So be very interesting to see what's going on at some of these smallers and to see if there's, you know, all, all the troubles are behind us, but, um, yeah, I think there's still lending going on at the larger ones, especially if you can, uh, if you have documented income and, you know, you have a, um, a, a decent FICO score, but I think it's getting harder. Prime rate is eight and a quarter now, by the way, prime eight and a quarter. It's so high. Um, next up hedging costs for Mr. Lau. So high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Hedging costs for you, Mr. Lap. Yeah, uh, they are expensive. But you can turn that other way around, bro. If they're expensive, you can go the other way back and turn them into dollars. So unhedge them, right? And get the other direction. So you can invest in and make some money there. That's what a lot of people like European credit, um, too, as a dollar investor, just because, again, you can pick up yield by doing that. So you just other way around, bro. Him. Yeah. I just other way around, bro. Lau. And then I pulled up your uh, your regional bank earnings, at least Western Alliance, uh, July twenty first. Ooh, so right I'm off. 
Close enough. Okay. Close enough. All right. Call me a liar over a few days. Uh, next up for Mayberry, we have refinancing wave. Uh, as we talked about, it's going to take a significant uh, drop in rates to uh, get a refi wave going. Makes sense. Uh, next up, productive assets. Better than non-productive assets. So to give the little the the in the inspiration for that was talking about banks lending. Uh, it was in the UK, but lending more towards housing and less so towards productive assets and business. Uh, banks being okay. more comfortable well, with. I mean, housing doesn't need to be productive. You got to have a place to live. But I mean, the UK has a big problem on its hand with the resets of the mortgages, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. the problem with all those arms there, and so. Um, it's really problematic uh, for their overall economy there. So uh, productive assets are a good thing. Uh, you want to own them. Uh, you do not want to rent them. There. Um, next up, let's do, for Mr. Lau, we're going corporate profit margins. Hmm. Shrinking. Um, I think they're going to be challenged in the next couple of uh, months until uh, we – we start to see uh, some give back either from uh, the Fed in terms of rate hikes or you start to get spending uh, to, to kind of ramp back up from uh, the consumer side, which have been slowing. I mean, they're not uh, negative, but uh, it's been slowing. Inflation doesn't help. Price inflation doesn't help. It's Q2 right around the corner, so we'll see it. Q2 earnings. Uh, let's go. This is kind of the summary of a lot of what we talked about today from Mr. Mayberry, but we have economic second half. One word. Um, no. One word. One, one word. Um, hmm. I can say steady. Uh, next up, last six to go. We have AI revolution. Mr. It will not be televised. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> It'll be AI advised. Um, I don't know. I've heard it my whole life. Call me a, call me a curmudgeon here. Um, but you know, I, I think there's something and I, I mean, obviously our phones now can like dictate, right? I mean, that was the holy grail. Like when we first got computers like 30 years ago, right? Um, I don't even remember the software, but you know, trying to use that stuff was very problematic. So I think there's uses for it. I'm not sure it's going to take over the world, but, um, again, maybe I'm a little curmudgeon. Right, uh, we have next up kicking the recession can. Well, it's definitely being kicked. Um, you know, even when it seems like even when we do get a recession, uh, it tends to be a little bit shorter at these times, just given all the, the new tools inside the, uh, the Fed's tool belt, this toolkit, this, as well as the fiscal side as well. It just seems like, uh, both sides, the fiscal and monetary sides are, are very recession, uh, what's it called? Uh, intolerant. Like my cucumber intolerance. Yes, very much. <laughs> um, you know, it, imagine this, Lau, like think about it. if we have a recession, I don't know, one year from today. Like, can you imagine how bad it's going to look with the, you know, the right, you know, not wanting to do any stimulus just to let the incumbents burn massively? I mean, yeah. it would feel like it could be pretty painful. Um Again, it's it's not to say the right is right or wrong. It's just like the left would do the same thing, right? It's like you freeze out the other side. So just given how contentious things are, I think you know if you had a recession that started and percolated during the summer, I just think it, I think they would just everything would grind to a halt and it could get pretty ugly. Again, we'll see. We'll see how much people actually care about their fellow Americans or they just care about politics. But it depends on how if it's like real deep, real fast, like we had in COVID, then they'll come together. But 
if it's kind of a mildish yeah. recession, then I think you're right. Yeah, and if it's a tech bro recession or yeah. you know a wolf recession or something, you know that you know you can blame it on something else, right? So um, again, um, I, I try to tune out the politics as much as we can, but but that that's one thing that concerns me. Yeah, there's no escaping the election cycle, right? So just don't put. Yeah, and I feel like it's already started. It's getting earlier and earlier every time. It's like you know, it's it's almost like a perpetual election cycle, right? Two years on, two years off. It's brutal. Um, Let's go to uh kind of related carry trade Mayberry. Uh, earn that carry, you know, earn the, you know, get that five and a half T bill, earn that carry for the, for the, for the next six months of the year. Uh, as, we, as we always like to say, you know, make sure that especially in fixed income, you're looking at your carry, your carry adjusted returns uh, because the carry is, is a super important part of that fixed income. It's not all price. It's not price. Uh, it's, it's the carry. Yeah. Income is important. On productive assets, Kimbra. Exactly. <laughs> you want both. You want They're both. productive if they produce income. That that's productivity to me. Exactly. Last round here. Let's have a little more fun here with uh, MLB All Star Break. Kicks off Home today. Home run derby tonight. It's home run derby time. You know, and uh, Kimbra, you didn't think my Giants would be still in it after this crappy little streak they were on, but they're still only three and a half games out in the West. So uh, even with your pseudo All Star team and Dodgers. Um, you know, being there, they, they just, they haven't really played together either. So, um, anyway, I'm looking forward to, uh, Julio Rodriguez tonight. Uh, and obviously everybody likes to see Alonzo hit bombs. So, uh, it'd be fun tonight. The game I'll be tomorrow, for- I'm probably not going to watch, but I will watch the Derby tonight. Yeah. It's fair. I'll be, I'll be watching Mookie tonight. So. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think Mookie stands a very good chance in that. I'm sorry. No, I just I, I like that he decided to come out there and play. It's, it's just fun. I, he's I mean, look, he's, he's a gamer. Yeah, he's a gamer. And also Rodriguez in his home stadium, I think the place is going to be electric for him. I'd love to see you know a youngin come come through tonight. So we'll see. Let's go next. Uh, let's do summer driving season, summer vacation time. Uh, you know me, I love hitting the road. So uh, most of my all my vehicles uh, that have four wheels are V8s and I'm definitely going to be, you know, at the gas pump a lot this year, this uh, summer season. Stay safe out there, man. Got rid of your V12s? <laughs> I can't afford V12s, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, uh, I guess you know my motorcycles make up for it a little bit. I remember when you taught me the term popcorn for your vehicle. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and last I didn't know what that was I just said it goes go 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 go. Anyways, that's the popcorn sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last up, Diablo. Um, my, obviously we've been playing video games as, as a team, been playing Diablo, but my mind went to, uh, Taco Bell hot sauce. So yeah. It's only, it's lunchtime. It's almost lunchtime. So, you know, I went it's Taco funny. Hot sauce. Uh, I was asked what I was playing this weekend and I told my wife Diablo four. She goes, well, three Diablos was not enough. <laughs> so I was like, obviously not if that we got stuck into this fourth one. So Kimbro, you're the only one missing. So uh we'll be welcoming you uh in, in hell soon. I just got Thank it uh, on Thursday and then uh Friday and Saturday night I was up past two AM playing this thing. I haven't been out past two two AM in a long time. Yeah, so um yeah, so this is what happens on the weekend here at Double Line. So all right. Well, uh, Kimbro, thanks for making the appearance, for coming in. And, uh, 
you know, putting your face to uh, to all of your Sherman says. Uh, I'll, I'll tell the the listeners out there that you usually help Sam and create these. So um, for our, our viewers out there on the YouTube channel, you get to see what Mr. Kimbra looks like too, the man behind the Sherman says. So thanks, Kimbra. Thanks again for having me. And thanks again to you, Mr. Mayberry, for being our most frequent guest and for committing. Uh, you you have the longest commitment, uh, forward commitment on the Sherman Show. Uh, we've never had anyone say they would like to come back on a specific date. So, um, you know, so thanks for doing that with us today. Hopefully everyone enjoyed this. We're trying to keep a little lighthearted uh, on these reviews, too, out there. Um, you know, as, as, we, as you see, there's a lot to digest for the second half of the year. And, um, you know, if only we could just annualize this first uh, six months of the year, I think we'd all take it. Uh, but even kind of flattish from here wouldn't be too bad after after an, an ugly 2022. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for uh, watching. And uh, we'll be back shortly with another episode soon. Thanks again. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2023. DoubleLine Capital.